Welcome to American Harvest Podcast, the podcast for the American Harvest film series, where we talk about all things related to Northeastern and Southeastern traditional American food ways. I'm your host, Aja. I'm your host, Damon. And Stell Walker is our guest today. What's up, Stell? Good evening, everybody. What's How up? are you? I maintaining well. maintaining. Yeah. Um, Stel, can you want to tell us a little bit about yourself and some reasons why we may have brought you on the show? Um, um I'm of American Indian history and I'm a great person. <laughs> I, I, I'll agree with both. I'll agree with both points. Definitely, definitely. <laughs> You know, let's let's dive into it. Just go straight for it. Um, we want to talk about on this episode. We want to talk about DNA, genealogy, and all of that good stuff. So, still, you are an American Indian, and you are very proficient in genealogy. Damon and I both know that about you. Oh, so, so I have a question. Why aren't DNA tests useful for detecting American Indian heritage, especially for North and Southeastern tribes? Uh, from what I've gained between speaking with other elders and some who are now ancestors and, you know, looking through various periodicals, it's very hard for them to pinpoint our DNA to our ancestors who are American Indian lineage and not just for North America but Central, South and the Caribbean because most of our ancestors that they claim died out or they didn't train entities to come in and even let them get their DNA outside of if you're going to the doctor's office and they have to draw blood very that but anything pertinent in any of they just needed their DNA. They, our ancestors and elders, they were not about to hand over any personal information, let alone anything from within their body, just for that circumstance. And I would pray and hope they're not exhuming bodies out of the ground just to check for DNA. So that wouldn't be one when they say, oh, this these DNA tests can detect American Indian lineage. That's so far from the truth. It's if anyone tells you that, just run for the hills. Uh, <laughs> and in addition, the DNA nor the blood quantums are relevant at this point because so many things have become tainted. So many persons have been extracted from their original lands that it wouldn't even count at this point. I know some tribes still try that, but the DNA nor the blood quantum is truly an efficient way. The genealogy the is truly that paper trail that will lead you back to your ancestors. And when I was in social work school and working in the hospital, the, the classic phrase was, if it wasn't written down, it didn't happen. Which is why paper genocide is such a huge feat. Definitely. I was going to say, um, I had a question to clarify, but you actually um, spoke to the question, which is the point that the DNA testing isn't really used within um you know, tribal membership, right? Um, tribal enrollment. So I guess what I wanted to bring up was regarding the DNA testing, there's the 
the fact that they exclude populations, you know, so they cho- choose to include the South American populations and uh, Central American populations, but exclude the Northeast and the Southeast. Um, and they say, they say because um, of their colonial interactions, or, you know, I'm paraphrasing. So I'm just curious, like, what's, what's your thoughts on that stuff? The fact that they choose to include and exclude certain populations, you know, it, it makes it seem like it's a little bit biased, <laughs> in my opinion. Well, even when you're looking at the South American populations, because I have some friends that are from Honduras, Guatemala, some that Argentinian, some from Guyana, and they face the same situation of who do they count and who don't they count and they know their ancestors have been there thousands of years and they've done the same rituals going to the top of the- one of my girlfriends has been to Machu Picchu three times although her grandfather was my complete your typical European until you talk to her and you're just like oh I think I got the wrong person so it is one of those things where it happens in Central South America as well it is just a thing a situation of who's controlling the narrative and what parts of the narrative do they want to exclude. So, Stel, what truly determines American Indian ancestry? That runs with your genealogy and to be able to trace your ancestors back. I know I will say pre-1619. I've heard others say pre-Columbus 1492. Which both can be blurred lines in the sand. However, one has to remember that some of our ancestors, they were here hundreds of years and you may not ever be able to pinpoint an entire family on paper because some were leery of even being counted. So unless you can find one of those stories from 1390 or you can get uh, you know, some newspaper clipping 1600s that reflect the families that were there in that particular area hundreds of years prior to. There are some people, if you can't go find their skeletal remains within a mound that's a couple hundred years old, you won't even know that they existed outside of knowing that that's your ancestor by way of oral traditions through the family. But what determines American ancestry, genealogy, you also have to understand that the culture is more of an oral tradition based. And for some of us, it's even within our DNA. It's just some things we innately do and may never even understand. This is why we do what we do. This is why I'm, I gravitate to trees when I go to a park. This is why certain animals just come into my presence when I'm walking through, you know, certain pathways. Or even when you're outside, you just connect with the stars or the, the sun, the moon. Things just gravitate to you because it's innately in you. That's how you can also under appreciate your American Indian lineage and ancestry. So, so one thing I one thing I noticed that you didn't mention was um you know was skin color, right? And it seems like everybody wants to always go there as far as how you can identify who's American Indian or not. And I guess the question for you then is, why is that the case? Why why is this you know focus on colorism, complexion, you know, featurism, right? That's another term I've been hearing. Why, why is this such an issue? You know, could, could you speak to that, please? For me? 
having been at, at my uh, It's a cliche to me that they say, you know, keep it personal, local, and immediate, which now I hear it when I cringe on our meetings, but now this makes it it's on a different spectrum. For me, I was never raised in a, a colorist home, should I say. My, I was raised with both of my sets of grandparents, and they both maternal and paternal grandparents, and their elders ancestors were also American Indian ancestry, so I have it on both sides. But I never, I never got the colorism aspect because both of my grandmothers would tell me, you can't afford to be hateful or conniving to any person because the way our DNA is set up, you don't know who you're related to. And you don't know whether your cousins from, that would have been in Europe are going to come over and say hello to you today or your other Indian cousins are going to come say hello to you today. So you can't afford to treat anybody any kind of way. Um... My father's mother was very, she was able to pass to work at a major department store. Her dad was also very fair with green eyes, coarse, but smooth kind of hair where it looked like an Elvis Presley do without any of the chemicals. And her mom was maybe my complexion with, as they would say, the phenotype, the high cheekbones, the, the the smaller eyes, and I can't even say you know she had the long flowy hair because she was adamant to keep her hair short my entire time of knowing her until I was past. She always kept a short haircut, and anytime her hair got to her shoulders, she would go in the bathroom and cut it herself until she did to as she said the beauty parlor. So colorism for me, for my father's side, that was never a thing because my grandmother knew what she had to go through just to be able to make. Uh, living for her, her household my maternal family the, it just wasn't a thing it definitely was never a thing my gra- my maternal great grandmother died from a seizure in New York because she was very fair but her daughters were all three different shades and because she spoke a language other than English they didn't know what she was so instead of rendering aid her presentation because she had her three daughters they let her die and both of her parents were just as tawny or swarthy or copper color as the crayons that show fit. But her daughter, she came out very fair and her three daughters were all three spectrums on different aspects on the rainbow. So my grand, both of my grandmothers taught me very early on what you look like has nothing to do with who you are. And you couldn't even say in our house, you. Well, you couldn't say black. You had to call them by whatever skin tone. So I never had aspect. Uh, even, and I, I know that some people talk about, you know, hair texture and looking like My maternal grandmother was very Indian copper colored. Uh, very, you know, a good golden brown. And her hair was just as smooth and silky and straight. And her hair was so straight. She tried to put a jerk on her hair to make it not so straight. <laughs> but you could clearly look at her and be like, yeah, you know, mama's definitely, you know, Indian. But it was never a a situation of phenotype for us. It was always know who you are, know, know what we taught you you are, and you walk in that manner, and that's how you're going to carry yourself and present yourself, and that's how you're going to treat people. 
Dale, you brought up hair texture um, a little bit. And you know, there's this thing amongst people where they say, okay, well, my grandma had long Indian hair or whatever. But just because somebody has, say, maybe short, coarse hair, does that make them any less Indian? No. uh, In a lot of the historical tales from the, the Europeans, not necessarily the first context, but a lot of the Europeans they talk about you know, the person's having coarse curly hair or the, the, the typical, I won't say typical, but the the go-to from the Bible, hair coarse like wool or curly like wool. So our ancestors on this land had hair. And I'll just put it like that. They had hair. There was specific hair type. Not one tribe had a designated hair rotation. And I truly think a lot of that hair emphasis came after you had a lot of those admixtures to come in so it was more of a you know you get the the lighter Europeans come over and once they start to intermingle you know the hair starts to get less coarse sometimes and less curly sometimes and I think that's where it came in however both of my grandmothers both had very straight hair but my father's mother was just like her mom she was able to keep it short because she refused to have long hair I don't know what it was about them having long hair. They refused to have any hair past their ears, let alone to their shoulders. And after my paternal grandmother passed away, my father's sisters took the same stance. And they used to, as he said, oh, the long flow is hair. Yeah, after my grandma died, they did the same thing. And they refused to wear their hair too long. There's people see my hair I don't people touch my hair so I don't know what it is on the opposite side because you know most people say they want the long flowy and they were just the opposite and my mom's mother did the same thing a couple times and when she would get tired of it and people she would go and get it cut and she went and got um what is it Damon a, a number one or Caesar she got one of those. Yeah, it's a number one. Now, I did it just because I just wanted to cut my hair off. But my grandmother, she was like, it's hair. I'm tired of people asking me about it. They were not on that hair kick whatsoever. So I think I was fortunate in that regard. But I get it from... Easy when they get to talking about it, I just walk away. But I, I've seen it, <laughs> and I've been victim of it, but my grandmother both of my grandmothers and great grandmother that I got to know they were very adamant about not sticking to those Indian I guess what's the word I'm looking for the typical the Indian look. yeah they didn't have that, that assumption of look because you can look at them and tell but they just refused to play into the playbook yeah I totally get it um, I, my experience too you know I was fortunate to not have to deal with those things, but in society, you know, they 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 brought it to us. The, you know, we talked about the genealogy. We talked about the genealogy aspect earlier, and um, I guess the question now is, how do you feel that genealogy helps someone determine their American Indian ancestry? How 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 is that used the most effectively to help someone determine their American Indian ancestry? Through genealogy? Yeah, using genealogy, yes. Uh, to me, that's probably the gateway. Because not mm-hmm. only can you see 
and you're working backwards. You're doing like backwards mapping, but you can see where your ancestry comes in. You can see a lot of those admixtures. And when I say that, just those persons, you know, that are coming from other spaces and places that marry into the family. But then you also get an appreciation as you're digging through these family records. You get to look at maps of year, two, three, four, five hundred years back. You get an appreciation for where your families immigrated and immigrated to because we know that there were, you know, not only just the American Indian slave trades, the other slave trade, our ancestors, they migrated quite often to other areas, whether it was for safety or for commerce. And a lot of times the men would go back and forth. And a lot of these times were what they would consider the European expansion. Our ancestors were on boats and ships long before technology came to quit. So we can definitely track a lot of that. And when you hear the oral stories that have been passed for generation to generation, in addition to being able to map these same situations through genealogy practices of understanding who's where, but as they're in those spaces, what transpired in those and seeing how these towns, states, colonies evolved with the help of our ancestors. So for me, genealogy offers a whole lot more insight than just some names, birth dates, and death dates. Well, you know it's time to bring out that plate of food still. <laughs> yes. What can understanding traditional American food ways teach us about our American Indian heritage? Outside of the foods itself, I would say how we prepare the foods. So not necessarily just the food that we eat, the manner which we grow the food, harvest the food, prepare the food, cook, and then how we actually prepare it itself. That says a lot about our ancestry and our, our heritage because our ancestors they took pride in even cultivating the lands to even prepare to sow the seed nurture the seeds into the plant sprout tree how they were presenting the food so for me uh, just appreciating the food itself and even the, the, the livestock that they raised they took a lot of pride in even treating the animals a certain way because energy and as you give that positive energy to your animals, when you do eat it, it comes back to you. So I, I appreciate not only eating the food, but understanding how it is prepared, harvested, and grown to actually be consumed. Yeah, it's a labor of love. I definitely see that part of it. You know, with my ancestors who were farmers and you know, like you said, it's a whole process from the farm to the table, right? Um, yeah, it's definitely a labor of love. Let me see. So, for you, what's your favorite, you know, what's your favorite American Indian comfort food? What What's something that you just remember growing up that 
you know, you can still taste, just close your eyes, you can taste it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Um, what would that be for you? Your favorite American Indian comfort food? So, summertime, my go-to is Haitian mangoes, which also can come out of Florida. It's mm. something about mangoes that just, I can close my eyes and take myself to a different place. Uh, but my comfort, comfort food, I'm a potato girl. Potato all day. So between po- russet potato and sweet potato, I'm definitely a potato, a potato child. Um, corn, not so much that everyone, you know, first, that's the first typical food they go to about American Indians is corn, but I'm definitely a potato lady. Uh, but my mango and rice uh, with the Caribbean mm-hmm. Uh, rice and black beans is definitely something that can not only soothe the soul and the, and the belly, it, it, it offers <laughs> comfort depending on how you prepare it. And I've seen my grandmother prepare beans four different ways, and none of them taste the same. And it's the same bean. And you just <laughs> no India's we got rice with everything, so yes, you get that rice and it. You get that homemade gravy, or as they would call that poor man gravy. Mm. <laughs> so, tap up some onions and go with it. You are that, that, that's what you need. Ooh, that gravy. Oh my goodness. You just brought back some memories. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Thank no, you, Phil, so much r- for joining. R- r- oh, okay, what's up? No, 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 real quick. I know we're about to close, but she just like you said, she brought some memories talking about them sweet potatoes. You know, I had such a uh, such a good sweet potato souffle over here with some um, pecans chopped up inside that sucker. Man, that thing was so good. Yeah, this time of the show, it's like my mouth gets to water and I'm good. <laughs> I'm glad we're about to close it so I can get some to eat. <laughs> Go ahead. I heard that. Well, thank you so much, Stell, for joining us and dropping so many jewels. I really appreciate you and appreciate you being on the show. Well, thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you. And everybody, thank you for joining American Harvest Podcast. And I hope you enjoyed that piping hot meal of wild turnips and cornbread. And because of stale, some wild potatoes on the side. All right, everybody, have a great one. And we'll talk to you on the next episode.